I wanted to pick the most uplifting passage <laughs> for this morning. Uh, about a few weeks ago, Marcy asked me to open up this series on confession, um, also another uplifting topic. Uh, but good morning, I'm Jason. Uh, I'm super thrilled that all of you are here today. Uh, I'm just a regular attender uh, of the church. Uh, my wife, Alicia, she's a lay elder here. Uh, my kids, Noah, uh, Lucy, and soon Grace, uh, they attend, truly terrorize the children's service. And outside of the church, I'm a, a technology entrepreneur. Um, so I'm going to open up uh, today on this topic of confession, uh, but then I'm very, very quickly uh, going to get out of the way because we're actually going to hear from one of the men in our church about his experience with and his testimony on confession. And so today I'll just plan on addressing two very quick topics. Uh, the first is what confession is and the second, what confession isn't. Now, the story we just heard is the story of King David. Uh, for those of you who aren't familiar, David was actually handpicked by God to succeed Saul as the king of Israel. Now, David loved God. David really loved God. He had personal encounter after personal encounter where he firsthand experienced God's power, and God's deliverance. David first got to know God in the, in the wilderness, in the forest, where he literally wrestled a lion to save one of his own sheep. He was handpicked by God to show the world for generations and generations to come that, in fact, the little guy can win with the right ally when he beat and killed Goliath. David was, in fact, called in the Bible a man after God's own heart. And so it is from that storied heritage that we get one of the greatest stories of personal confession because David's story is one of the worst stories of personal failure. The backdrop of the story that uh, Phil just read is that King David did something pretty terrible. He was a king, and so he royally screwed up. In short, he, I didn't mention I'm a father, so this is my dad joke. But in short, he, he met a woman. She was married. He had sex with her. He gets her pregnant. And then he has her husband killed. Now, the specific details of this story may not at all be relatable for probably most of you here, but I would ask you to actually abstract from the specifics so that you can more closely identify with some of the general principles. So in this story, David wanted something, and he was determined to go get it at any cost. David knew the husband personally, is friends with him, decides to betray him, stabbed him in the back, literally, to get what he wanted. In this story, we see manipulation, sleight of hand, abuse of power. David uses his position and authority to get Bathsheba to come over, have sex with him. 
We see hiding, cover-up, burying of the sin, ignoring it, pretending it doesn't exist. But there's clear evidence of his wrongdoing. So Bathsheba, she gets pregnant. So David comes up with an elaborate and ongoing plan to conceal his mistake. So, when David is ultimately confronted by Nathan, the prophet, in the Old Testament, prophets were effectively abstractions of God, like in kind of delivering a message from God in human form. David says, I have sinned against the Lord. Now, Nathan responds immediately, Lord's taken away your sin. And so here we see the very first property of confession. And that is, when we confess, we are immediately forgiven. Let me say that one more time. When we confess, we are immediately forgiven. You may not see God, but God hears our admission of what we did wrong, how we failed, and he says, you are forgiven. That's immediate. It's unequivocal. It's permanent. Let me speak to the folks in this room who are wondering if what I'm saying is actually true. Or if you don't have as much familiarity with this concept. If there is any doubt in your mind that God cannot forgive you, you are incorrect. You are wrong. It does not matter how long a sin has been going on, who has been hurt by it, whether anyone, even else, anyone else even knows about it. Because when you confess, God forgives you, period, full stop. The second point about confession that we see in this story is that while in fact we can go rely on the immediacy of God, usually, usually, the process of confession actually has something in it for us too. Now listen, I don't doubt that David meant it when he said, I have sinned against the Lord. I believe he was genuine, and I believe he was telling the truth. But the story goes on to say that David pleaded with God that God would heal his son. For seven days straight, David did not eat a single thing. Spends all night in a burlap sack, wailing, crying out to God, face down on the ground. Now I'm going to ask, what was David doing over that seven-day period? Was it literally just about healing his son? Did all he say was, God, please heal my son. God, he please heal my son. God, please heal my son. You see, what I think was actually happening was that God was making it increasingly clear to David just what David had actually confessed about. You see, each time over that seven-day period when David asked, God, please heal my son, the reality of what he did and why he was even in that situation to begin with starts to set in. 
starts to become clearer and clearer, more vivid and more vivid as to why he's even in that situation. What was I thinking? I had it all. Why did I do that? If I could just take it back, I would. These are the thoughts that are going through his mind. Sure. Probably also, please heal my son. But I'd ask any of us here, it is impossible to be asking that question and not think about why we're in that situation to begin with. And that is a necessary part of confession. You see, there's a very, very clear difference between God saying we are forgiven and us realizing and understanding the depth of what we're actually being forgiven of. And the deeper that we acknowledge and the deeper that we recognize the pain that we've caused ourselves, the pain that we may have caused others, and certainly the pain that we've caused God, actually the more pure and the richer and the better that confession can become. And the richer the confession becomes, the richer our relationship with God will be coming out of it. You know, as I said, um, there's not a lot that I have to share today because what I want to do is invite uh, our friend Eric Lee to come share his testimony with us. Uh, Eric's a long member of our church. Uh, We just left the men's retreat over this past weekend. He's a friend to many men here, uh, someone who has actually come face-to-face with God through the power of confession. And so with that, maybe folks can welcome or join me in welcoming Eric to the stage. Hey guys, keep it light this Sunday. <laughs> um, got some nerves here. So I want to start off by saying that um, I, I, I originally gave a testimony here, right here in this spot, in December 2018 at my baptism uh, at LMCC. And I think that was really more of a moment of appreciative self-reflection. Um, it was an expression of gratitude, I would say, for being born into a whole loving family with supportive parents, uh, the best older brother a guy could ask for, and, and very loyal friends. In retrospect, I think my 2018 testimony, while very real and candid, was generally on the lighter side, mostly because this whole, this whole God and church thing was completely new to me. Um, I never even stepped foot into a sermon or worship service until that year. And yes, it was only because of this cute girl I was playing softball with. Um, and so that 2018 testimony, it, 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 it felt sort of like, you know, let me dip my toes in this because, hey, what's the downside? I've got coworkers and friends who call themselves Christians and live the same exact life I do or do way more questionable stuff than me every day. So how hard could this be? What do I really need to give up? As long as I go to church and, and listen to the sermons, I mean, everyone is sitting all the time, right? And apparently God himself died to cover for us, so I think we're good. So after I got baptized here, 
I definitely felt a sense of renewal, um, reinvigoration, and that this was just an interesting thing in life that I'd never been exposed to before. Most of all, it felt novel. Some new group identity I, knew, I now carried and was a part of that made me feel grown up and cleansed in a sense. And so my baptism and testimony, they came and went just like all other events in life. Um, the novelty fades and you, you sober up. <laughs> um, now having lived in Manhattan since 17 years old, I went, I went to college uptown at 116th and Broadway up at Columbia. You know, I've I basically been a New, York, a New Yorker now my entire adult life. Um, I'm not sure who here has lived in the city in their 20s, but there's basically never not something going on, <laughs> especially at night. Um, and I was just beginning business school in 2018, also at Columbia. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I don't know how many of you have done the MBA thing, but it's literally just a, a two-year vacation from adulthood. And unfortunately, that also means for many people a two-year vacation from acting like an adult as well. Um, you know, you're, you're in your late 20s or early 30s, sort of mid-career, have some savings, surrounded by other equally narcissistic people living in a big city <laughs> with optional class attendance and basically unlimited free, free time, what could go wrong, right? Um, you know, the, the number of broken engagements and divorces that I've witnessed in such a short span of time was, was, was really eye-opening. Um, fortunately for me, my now wife uh, was living here with me, so I went home to her every night, so the temptations were <laughs> somewhat tempered. But um, my old lifestyle, the excessive drinking, uh, smoking, going out, recreational drug use, sometimes more than recreational, um, had not even been paused. It, if anything, it, it increased. Um, again, you know, the, too much free time. But I think the real problem here with this was that it was right in line with, um, with this logical thought process that I think I, I've always held in my mind and conscience. That as long as I was being ambitious, achieving, building a career and hitting the major milestones in life that came with growing up, um, where my equally sharp and high achieving friends and family served as the annual benchmark of how am I doing, um, then whatever I do with my own body, however I treat people, and the way I, I spend my time and resources, they're, they're all irrelevant. A rounding error that has nothing to do with the bigger picture. Um, and so, as you know, my, my new religious conscience told me that I could do whatever I wanted on Friday and Saturday night as long as I woke up and made it here by 10 a.m. on Sunday and said sorry. But so, all of this came to a head in 2020 the year I graduated B-School and was brought back down to earth. I had proposed to Annie the summer before, and we were all set to get married in San Diego in August of that year, which was the summer after graduation. Basically, party time was over, and it was time to get back to the real world, onto the next milestone, um, so I can feel like I'm moving forward again. I graduated my MBA program with no full-time job offer in hand, banking on that spring to land the right gig. Um, as you may recall, COVID hit that January, um, throwing the whole world into a tailspin, including the economy. Job, you know, job markets froze, especially in the, the finance sector that I'm in. And it was going to stay in a holding pattern for the foreseeable future. Also, I, I don't know if many of you recall, but this was the same month that, uh, that Kobe Bryant died. 
in a helicopter crash. And that was for someone, for some reason, I thought was literally invincible. So it was just a very weird start to the year, to say the least. As the months went by, and the more despair spread across the world with this unknown new virus, people, especially in the city, especially me, they seemed to become more and more agitated, more and more isolated. And so as summer 2020 started, I was having more and more trouble sleeping. And I, I know this is, this is really bad because I cannot operate without sleep, and especially losing sleep in this way where it's driven by my anxiety and overdrive, I knew that internally things, things were going in the wrong direction. Over the course of the next couple of months, um, the wedding had to be postponed a few times. My, anxi my anxiety and insomnia has spiraled into full-blown depression, and a close friend's boyfriend took his own life. I, rec I, I recall hearing that God never gives you more than you can handle, but this definitely felt like we were getting awfully close. You know, th th this was actually the second time in my life experienced a major uh, depressive episode. First one was four years prior, and a lot of those same demons of, of guilt and shame um, were coming back to haunt me. So in my mind, you know, this, this time there, there, there was no way this was happening again, especially for my fiance to witness firsthand. I was going to do everything in my power to shield from her. Uh, you know, she can't find out. And so towards the end of that summer, you know, Annie was planning to spend one last extended period of time with her parents before marriage, so she left for Taiwan for about a month at the, at the end of summer, which was, it was a good period of time for both of us to sort of process what had happened separately. Um, you know, my, my condition wasn't great, but I was actively seeking professional help through therapy and psychiatrists around the city. She was doing her best to help as well uh, from a distance. And so after smashing all the buttons on the controller for about a month, I finally got up the courage to admit to, to Annie's mother, my future mother-in-law in Taiwan, what I was going through. And by the, by the grace of God, I would say her, her reaction, you know, is instead of judging me, or being horrified, she, she instantly contacted a, a top psychiatrist in Taiwan to help. Within a week of Annie returning with the medication, I started to feel much, much better. And I, I could feel my brain, my mind healing. Um, sleep was vastly improved, daily function and motivation, they were back and most of, most of my energy and affection towards others was restored. No longer, I was no longer an empty zombie just walking through the city numb every day. Um, you know, I, I had a regular Zoom visit with the psychiatrist every couple of weeks or so. It was, it, was, it was during this healing period that I had some of the most incredible God experiences. Um, I won't bore everyone with the, the, the minute details, but just like inexplicable coincidences with wedding planning, job momentum, uh, interpersonal relationship matters where the, the, time, the timing and circumstances couldn't have lined up like that. If, if you ran a simulation like 10 million times. Um, and then like literally like this one night where I was staring my, my, my photos from my childhood on my phone, I was a little drunk, but I, I literally saw a series of lights enter the photos and they're still there to this day. I, I'm happy to show this to anyone if they want to see after. Um, and honestly, I, I feel like these undeniable supernatural experiences actually happen to people all the time. 
they just don't really talk about it because, like, they know people will think that they lost their mind. Um, it's sort of a, a silent majority situation, but in the best way possible. Anyways, here I am on this spiritual journey where I'm talking, where I'm walking with God every day now, hearing his voice through every lyric of every song I listen to. Um, and, you know, that fall, also my hero LeBron won his fourth ring, so I was definitely feeling God. <laughs> and I felt so special, right? Like this, this huge 180, this, this turnaround, I, I felt like I was handpicked by him above all others to not only survive but to thrive. And this was... This is, this is exactly what led me to my next downfall, because, like, knowing that my life was saved by God, I somehow interpreted this into, okay, now I'm invincible. Um, and if you, if, you, if you talk to my closest friends, they would not be shocked by this at all. A little, a little heat check. Um, so while I looked like I was getting better and healing on the outside, I also allowed some of the old demons to get a grip on me on the inside, namely um, greed, arrogance, and general fear of inadequacy as a man. I got back into very, very risky you know, options trading, gambling, cryptocurrency investing, and you know, thinking that I had this idea in my head that I was some kind of prophet from the heavens now. With our, re with our wedding rescheduled to a final new date of August 2021, um, the, in, the internal voice inside my head only became louder, telling me that I need to be a provider at all costs. I'm starting a family now. How will it look being unemployed on my wedding day? Um, and so the wagers in, aggressively increased in size and frequency during that spring, and so did the losses. The biggest problem here was that I wasn't telling anybody about it, especially my future wife, who I knew was trusting me and who I gave the impression I was doing much better now. This all came crashing down in August uh, 2021, two weeks before our wedding. Um, I got up after a sleepless night, and I told Annie that I needed to be ad admitted to the hospital. Is that... I had a, uh, a, a handwritten farewell note in my hand and told her I was going to wait until she went to the office. So we went straight to, the, to Mount Sinai West in Upper West Side and after some consideration decided to fully explain to the staff, you know, all my dark thoughts and my condition and to ultimately admit me into the hospital. And it wasn't until about a week into my stay, during visitation hours, that I, found, I finally came clean to Annie about all the dumb, dumb stuff I'd been doing. The self-doubt, confusion, loneliness, and worst of all, shame that I, I thought I buried forever, it, it resurfaced and it came back stronger than ever. And again, by the grace of God, rather than reprimand me or lash out in anger or tears or just straight up leave, all Annie did was embrace and hold me. 
and she said, hey, where's your faith? I'm not going anywhere. And then, in the most gangster move in Taiwanese history, two weeks later, she met me at the altar and said, I do. You know, oh no, I, th I, think, I think the one thing I guess I, ca I can't say about the past five years is that, you know, it's been boring. <laughs> but, but, but no matter, no matter how bumpy the ride has gotten, almost every bump, I, you know, was caused by my hand trying to jerk the wheel rather than, my, than loosening my grip and trusting him. And looking back, and Marcy really helped point this out after reading the testimony, I've never had a real turning point in my life until I stopped hiding and stopped lying, most of all to myself. And yet, so, so now that I have another shot at giving a testimony after about five years of officially being a Christian um, and thinking, what's the downside? I can say there's definitely downside. <laughs> The path to walk now is much more narrow. You know, if, if I go to church every Sunday, hear the sermons, dance to the band, read the Bible, study homework, but behave like an idiot during the week, that is all nonsense. Even worse, I just become a hypocrite, which I've always, I've always viewed as the lowest of the low. And I would say that what's even more challenging than a narrower path to walk is, as my other hero, Denzel, once said, when you're at your highest point, that's when the devil comes for you. Marcy, Marcy Miller never shies away from this topic, which I always appreciate, that we're really at war every day, a spiritual war. You know, in the, in the deepest recesses of the human mind, the things we say to ourselves during times of depression and other affliction, no sane person would ever say this to anyone else. There, there's zero rational, like, Darwinist evolutionary explanation for suicide ideation. This is is literally diametrically opposed to the single highest objective of our animal instinct, which is to, to survive and to pass on our genes. Its genesis, I think, is, is almost always from external and internal shame, which comes from the darkest of places. But also, you know, more low-key but equally insidious uh, negative emotions like bitterness, resentment, self-pity, rage. I don't think any of these are from a good place. And so now, on the other side of all of this, I'm happy to share that Annie and I are expecting a baby girl in February. <laughs> because despite all of the pain and nastiness we feel and see every day in this world, we sometimes get to experience, purely by the grace of God, moments of joy that are so much more beautiful than everything else, that there's no question it's all worth it. Thank you.
Well, the very clear takeaway is thank goodness for amazing partners as well. Um, I, you know, started talking today about what confession is. No better way to explain that than to hear directly about it. So um, thank you, Eric, for that. Um, let me close here very quickly by maybe just addressing what confession is not. So we talked about con what confession is, um, and we'll just uh, close on actually what confession is not. And um, I think it's probably pretty clear that from Eric's testimony that confession is not a panacea. Um, it's not a promise that the consequences of our decisions are erased in the here and in the now. The story that Phil read about David is actually one of my personal uh, all-time favorite stories in the Bible. Um, and that's simply because it is one of the very few times in the Bible where God clearly does not answer a prayer. David's son dies. You see, if the Bible were full of stories of God only answering prayers, then I think that you and I as intelligent and discriminating people would probably not wind up believing the Bible. Because it cannot be the case that God answers every single prayer just because it's accompanied with confession. Because I've got a long list of prayers that God has yet to answer. The thing that David asks for does not happen, even though he confesses. Even though he spends seven days on his face, on the ground, full of deep regret, full of pure remorse for his actions. That child, who is the consequence of all of his poor decisions, still dies. David doesn't get what he thinks he needs and what he thinks he's actually asking for. Now, when we take a closer look at what's going on here, after these dramatic seven days where, quote, David loses, here's actually what's going on. In verse 20, what Phil read, says, after David washed, put on lotions, changed his clothes, goes to the house of the Lord, and he worships. Then he goes to his own house, ate, and at his request, they, his servants, served him food, and he ate. His own people ask him, David, I don't get it. When the child was alive, you didn't eat. But now that the child is dead, you get up and you go eat. David tells them, while the child was still alive, I did fast. I did weep. Because I thought, who knows? The Lord may be gracious to me and let that child live. But now that he is dead, why should I go on fasting? Can I bring him back again? You see, David knew that confession does not equate to prayers being answered, but rather to consequences being accepted. You see, David found himself in the wilderness again, wrestling with a lion. But this time, it was the true lion, God himself, 
And when and only when he was done wrestling, is he ready now to go back and take care of the sheep? You see, confession, that's for us. It's when we truly begin to understand the limits of our own humanity and the actual depth of his grace. You see, once David accepts his consequences and is restored in relationship with God, only then is he ready to go back to being the anointed king. He's ready to do his job. And if you follow this chapter, what you'll see is he literally goes back to work. His nine to five. And after that full day of work, he goes home. Sees Bathsheba. Comforts her. Makes love to her. And the son that is born from that time. That son is a boy called Solomon who's blessed by God to be the wisest man to ever live in all of humanity and the next king of Israel. You see, God can bring hope and glory and progress truly out of the worst failures of our life when there is true confession. After leaving Egypt as part of this history of Israel, the Israelites had tried fruitlessly for 480 years to build the temple of God. But who gets it done? It's Solomon. It's a king who was conceived out of failure and born out of confession who winds up building the temple. And that's our opportunity today. You see, in the modern world, the Bible says that we are his temple. I am his temple. You are his temple. And so if you are looking to build that temple, I'm going to encourage you. Actually, I'm going to exhort you today to bring forth your confession. Whatever failures you've had, whatever poor decisions you've made, whatever terrible judgments you've ever exercised, it doesn't matter. The confession is immediate, and there's something in it for you and for me. Phil's going to come back up here and lead us in a time of individual confession and prayer. If you've never done this before, it's not complicated. Just think about it and admit, well, maybe there's something here that I'm not right with God on, or something I kind of regret, or something maybe I should. It doesn't have to be. You found someone, you had sex with them, and they got married, and you killed the guy. It doesn't have to be as dramatic as the story that we just heard, but there are these abstract principles that are captured in this story that I'm going to guess we can all relate to. And my hope is that you take a few minutes and you just confess what's on your heart. You accept the consequences, and I promise you, you watch God create something amazing from it. Let me say a quick word of prayer, and then Phil's going to come up and close us out. God, thank you for Eric. Thank you for his honesty. Thank you that you forgive immediately. Thank you for Annie. Thank you for amazing partners, amazing people in our lives. Thank you for the story of David 
Thank you for enabling us to accept consequences. And thank you for the hope that we have that you will bring something amazing from it. Amen.